Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and the word proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. A lesson from the Old Testament, 1 Samuel 8, 4 through 9. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, You are old, and your sons do not follow in your ways. Appoint for us then a king to govern us like other nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to govern us. Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them, just as they have done to me from the day I brought them out of Egypt to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So also they are doing to you. Now then, listen to their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them. Show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. The word of God for the people of God. I'd love to have a moment with any of the children who are here in the sanctuary. If you want to come and join me up here. And if you're worshiping online, just move a little closer for this moment that's just for you. Although the grown-ups listen too. Sometimes they say they like the children's moment better than my sermon, so. <laughs> Good to see everybody. Don't you love the warm weather we're having? We've had such beautiful weather. Although yesterday I saw my first mosquito. Darn. <laughs> welcome, welcome. What a nice big group we have today. All right, so our Bible story this morning reminds me and reminds all of us that we're supposed to put God first in our lives. The most important thing in our lives is to love God and to do what we can to love like God loves and to be the kind of people God wants us to be. So there's one way that some people have come up with to help remind us of that. Because it's something we have to practice and think about a lot and try and try again. Have any of you ever seen these four letters, WWJD? Yes. Do you know what they stand for? What would, what would Jesus do? So when I was younger, I had a little bracelet that said WWJD. And when I was trying to make a decision or I was in a difficult situation, I could just look at that and think, what would Jesus do in this situation? Or what would Jesus want me to do in this situation? What would be the loving thing to do? What would be the kind thing to do? Would God be pleased with what I'm about to do? So those are questions that help me think about being a child of God first and foremost above everything else. Let's pray together. Dear God, Every day there are choices we make and things that we do. And we want to love you and we want to love other people. 
So help us be thinking and praying about what you would have us do, what the right thing is and the loving thing. And if it helps, let's think WWJD. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you all so much for listening. Three, four, and five-year-olds can go to Children's Church with Pastor Maggie and Pastor Stacy, And the rest of you can return to seats with family and friends. Well, I have to give credit where credit is due this morning. The sermon title is not original. This was suggested to me by Bill Ferris in the Tuesday morning Bible study. It was seconded by someone else in the room and a unanimous vote that this, we didn't really vote, but everybody thought it was a good idea that this should be our sermon title because it's sort of a cautionary tale This moment when the people of Israel, the elders of Israel, gather around the prophet Samuel and say, we're tired of this, we want a king. Give us a king. All the other nations around us have a king. We want a king too. Now the Israelites had not had a king up to this point. They had settled into the promised land and we have seen through the book of Judges that they were sort of a loose affiliation of tribes and every now and then when enemies would attack them, God would raise up a judge, a warrior ruler to deliver them from their enemies and reestablish peace. But it seems clear through this text and throughout the scriptures that God's plan was that God's people would not need a king. Because their lives, their life together, their life as individuals would be so grounded in the love of God, the law of God, that they wouldn't need a ruler over them. But they ask for one. They demand one. And so God says to Samuel, give the people what they want. I think it's a big mistake. So you better warn them. A king is a bad idea. And the verses that follow these that we've just heard that Linda read outline exactly what a king will do. And I don't have the exact count, but many, many times in that paragraph, the verb take is repeated. A king will take your sons and turn them into soldiers. A king will take your daughters and turn, turn them into servants in his household. A king will take your land and share it among his courtiers and his cronies. A king will take your crops, take, take, take and you will be subject to the king. This is one of those moments in the scriptures when we recognize another one of those recurring themes. If you've been with us since early January when we first started this journey through the Bible, I mentioned to you in that first week that there were recurring themes that would come up for us across the year. Now, I'm not gonna get anywhere near naming all of the themes, But this morning's text brings one to the surface in particular. It seems that from the beginning, God has had a plan, God has had a will, a design of what life with God should look like, what the community of God should look like, the kingdom of God, the reign of God, God's shalom, whatever words you want to use to describe it. And yet over and over and over again in the story of the scriptures, the people turn away, they choose other things, they reject, they worship other gods. It starts in the garden. That story of creation 
that tells us so much about God and, and ourselves and our relationship with God. God had established this paradise, this garden that had everything that humankind could possibly need or want. They were in right relationship with God and with each other and with creation. They would walk and talk with God in the cool of the day until the tempter comes in. The voice put in the mouth of a serpent who begins to whisper to Adam and Eve, this is not enough. Are you sure you can trust God? You sure God's telling you the truth about all this? If you eat this fruit, you can be God. And they eat the fruit. They push God off the throne and they seat themselves there and that's where the trouble starts. We see it in the journey of the Israelites. After God has liberated them from enslavement in Egypt, God provides for them in the wilderness the quail and the manna and fresh water from the rock, everything they could possibly want. God gives them guidance, giving them the law. And the very first of the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. Put me at the center of your life together, not because God has a big ego, but because God knows what it is to be in right relationship. And to be in right relationship with God, to have God first, means that all other relationships will be right. But again and again, as they wander in the wilderness, the Israelites reject the ways of God. Moses is still up on the mountain getting the law when they're making a golden calf and bowing down to another god again and again rejecting the kingdom of God and choosing the kingdom of the world. And it's happening in this moment. We don't want God as our king. We want an earthly king. We want somebody we can look at who will fight our battles for us and tell us what to do and tell us what to think. And so we have the kingdom of God that is built on, and we'll hear these words next week, built on justice and equity, built on love and compassion, built on the values of the kingdom of God. And then we have the kingdoms of this world built on power and hierarchy and violence and fear and control. And they are throughout the scriptures. We see them in the life and ministry of Jesus. When Jesus is born into the world, the kingdoms of this world shake and tremble. We see that in Matthew's gospel with Herod and his paranoia. In Luke's gospel that tells us just as the Augustus Caesar was, a, was sending out his decrees, Jesus is born. And Before he begins his public ministry, he wrestles in the desert with the devil and the devil tempts him to give over power. Look, Jesus, if you'll just bow down and worship me, you can have dominion, you can rule over all these kingdoms of the world, you can be powerful, you can make people do what you want them to do. But Jesus says, no. Where Adam and Eve were all too ready to put themselves on the throne, Jesus says, no. That is not the Messiah I will be, that is not the kind of king I am. And if you were here on Palm Sunday, we heard this same, these same two kingdoms pitted against each other with Jesus and Pontius Pilate. And Pilate saying, don't you know I have the power to kill you? Don't you know I have all the power in this room? And Jesus saying, my kingdom is not of this world and you have no power over me. 
For my kingdom is built on love and grace. And Pilate's is built on domination and fear and violence. We see it in the lives of the early Christians whose first creed, you might say, is very short. Jesus is Lord. The early Christians would proclaim their faith with those words, Jesus is Lord. And by saying that, they were saying Caesar is not. And so to pledge ourselves to the kingdom of God is an act of subversion. To give ourselves over to the reign of God, to the beloved community, to the values that are part of the kingdom of God sometimes calls us to stand over and against the kingdoms of this world. Reminds us not to give in to the ways of fear and violence and control and domination ever but always to follow the way of love. And so we see these two kingdoms throughout the scriptures. And every time we come upon a text like this one, there's an invitation to self-examination. In what ways am I in my own life dethroning God? What are the things that I worship that are not God? Where do I put my loyalty and my trust in things that are not God? We can look outward. And we see it in our culture how people can put their loyalty to this nation in the place of God. Believing that, that in Christian nationalism that whatever our nation does is exactly what God wants. And that, my friends, is idolatry. And we have to be very careful about that. Yes, we can be proud of who we are and grateful for our country and our democracy, but it is not God. And it shall not be ever. Sometimes we put our loyalty and our faith in a particular leader. Sometimes we put it in a particular political party or a church or denomination or a pastor and that is not where it belongs. These verses, these stories throughout the scripture remind us and challenge us, nothing shall come before God. No person, no institution, nothing. And so we must constantly examine our hearts to see where our loyalties are and be willing to let go of all of those things that are not of God. It doesn't mean that we're not involved and engaged in our community that we don't use the, the agency we have as, as citizens and voters to try and make a difference and make the world look more like the kingdom of God. But we must never put it in on the throne. These texts also invite us to look inward. What things do I tend to put at the center of my life? Not meaning to, whether it's money or success or the praise of other people, or the absence of conflict? Is that a higher value to me than being faithful to the ways of God? A lot of times, yes. And the truth is, this kind of self-examination is a daily, hourly practice and process. So I know what some of you are thinking, Carol, this is sort of depressing. 
(laughs) All these examples throughout the scriptures of the people of God rejecting God in all these different ways that we can do it too and we often do in our lives. But my friends, there is deliverance and there is good news. We are Easter people and we have just celebrated Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Jesus who showed us the perfect way of life to be in right relationship with God, others, self, and creation. And through God's grace and the power of the risen Christ, we can with each day and with each step grow in our faithfulness and do all that we can to keep God at the center of our lives. Through the power of the risen Christ, who has already accomplished the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. On Easter afternoon, my family got together at my brother's house in Brentwood. We had some of our siblings and cousins and others who were gathered. And my cousin Susu had been at worship here at West End with her mom. And over lunch, she was saying, She used to sing alto in her church choir for years and years and years and sang the Hallelujah Chorus every Easter Sunday. And she said, nobody realizes that the altos sing the most important word in all the Hallelujah Chorus. They're the first to say it. Do you know what it is? Is. That's right. Somebody said it. Was that you? Ben. I should have guessed it would be Ben. So the choir sings, the kingdom of this world. And the altos go, is. And then everyone else goes, is become the kingdom of our Lord. The altos on Easter Sunday announced the good news that the kingdom of this world has already become the kingdom of God. And so our response to that good news is to do all that we can to live into that kingdom to announce it each and every day with our lives. May we be people who claim that word is now and forever. Amen.